Ain't That Swell presents Chords. Greetings, Swellians, and welcome to Core Lords. Today's guest is surfer and adventurer Torin Martin. Torin was midway through an insane sailing adventure from Thailand all the way down the length of Indonesia when we managed to somehow wrangle him into our moldy pod dungeon for a beer and a blabber. Yes, that's right, he'd, uh, he'd left his boat and fiance Ayana anchored somewhere in the Teller Islands while he flew home to see his beloved grandma following a recent health scare. Because, uh, you know, that's the kind of guy that he is. The sailing voyage is the latest in a long line of incredible, courageous adventures he's undertaken, including a four-month journey through the depths of New Zealand in winter by motorbike and a trip from Scotland to West Africa by van. We explore these and much, much more in this wide-ranging combo. Torrin is one of the most decent and down-to-earth people you'll ever meet. You'll be hard-pressed getting him to acknowledge any kind of compliment about his surfing or lifestyle, which only speaks to the humility of the man. But I will say this. The surfing he's doing on Morning of the Earth Twin Fins is among the best that's ever been done. New lines, new tube techniques calves of the most mondo magnitude done faster than Fitzy, the sultan of speed in his prime all with supreme style it's seen him carve out a niche that's all his own and his humble humble shaper and my very good mate simon jones absolutely perishing under an endless demand for the boards uh so yeah you know just fucking great to see him really safe and sound i was worried when i saw what he was attempting to do by sailboat and as you'll hear, it's been every bit as wild as you'd imagine. Welcome. Welcome to the where the magic happens. So I hear. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. So uh, I guess, mate, run us through why you're even here. Because last I saw you were on a, uh, on a boat somewhere in the archipelago, mm-hmm. the 18,000 island archipelago. Mm-hmm. Just off uh, one little one of those. Um, I actually just came back to sort of, it was a sort of last minute little, little trip. I was sort of hanging on the boat and Ayana, uh, basically, well, my nan's been kind of sick and I'm pretty close to her. So, uh, I saw it as a good little opportunity to come home and see granny and, uh, see mom and pick up some, a couple of boards and had Loz's film night a couple of nights ago down in Yamba, uh, which was epic. Yeah, haven't seen that yet. I've, uh, I'm pretty keen to watch it though. Talk us through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, had it at the Yamba Cinema, and which is Loz's hometown, you know, and first first screening of the film, and they've been working on it for the last sort of, oh, I think he wrapped that trip up around Chrissy time, so it's been a, a while in the works. And they were on the road for nine months or so around Oz, Laurie and his, his wife and kids. And yeah, it was, oh, I mean, they, their family's got such a beautiful dynamic and, you know, the man Loz is um, such a, an animal in the water and, you know, yeah, it was incredible. Some of the surfing and diving, just, yeah, the kids are classic and, yeah, it's a pretty epic film. you got to watch it. Man, I bet it's amazing. I mean, the stuff that you guys are putting out through Needs, uh, <laughs> like Thank You Mother, Lost Track, Now This, it's, it's kind of... Uh, 
it's as good as it gets in in my opinion for for surf films really like you know Laurie's in my opinion probably the greatest talent of his generation alongside mm. uh Wade Goodall and I guess himself I don't know he's a bit older than you though isn't he yeah, it's a total different, different, different league and, and yeah. generation sort of thing. Loz is, Loz is the man, isn't he? Yeah, he's the fucking man. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you know, obviously just an absolute demon in slabs and, and waves of consequence, but such a mental small wave surfer too, like just yeah. an incredibly stylish, um, you know, performance surfer on, on your typical thrusters. What can we expect from this film? Oh, like, I mean, they spent close to a year on the road around Oz and – I don't know. You, go, you, you just sort of have to watch it. The surfing's phenomenal. There's a you know great story in it. Um, good, really fun to watch. Uh, epic music. It's uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a hit for sure. And what's uh, so what's the go with with needs making films now? What's the? I mean, it's like a it's like a <laughs> it's a strange kind of uh, company because it's a ostensibly a wetsuit and, and like surf hardware company but now it's um you know putting films out through yourself through Laurie. uh how did yeah how does talk us through the the kind of uh birth of this this project it's interesting yeah yeah well i guess um like my relationship ishka and i's relationship with need has has grown a lot as the company's grown over the last i mean need's been around for nine eight nine years now and Ryan, who started, who founded the company, he's always, I mean, he's incredibly creative himself and good surfer and into filmmaking and, and an artist, you know, um, much more than a businessman. So he had a, had the idea with the company and, and he's always, as that as the company's grown and he's always supported people and, and things that he's believed in. <coughs> and yeah, I guess, you know, we've all kind of grown together and we all have a, you know, a really level input with it all so yeah as the as the company's grown um it's enabled us and you know filmmakers and surfers to that ryan and the company have believed in to do their thing so it's yeah it's all grown quite naturally but um i guess the films themselves as as it's all grown have just got you know better and better had more sort of time and energy and uh yeah Geez, it must feel good. I mean, you're living out just a classical surfer's existence. Like, if you could design it, if you surfed it and you could, you know, think up your dream life, it would be just to travel around the places you go on in a van, camping, and, um, you know, with no real time constraints, just the main goal is to, to get really good waves and enjoy the time, and that's what you're doing, and, you know, you're getting, I guess, the funding to do that, and um, the projects like the finished product the films they they just reek of that authenticity they're fucking just such a joy to watch and it's just such a return to kind of i don't know what you call it core or classic or just like you know old school travel and yeah. surf films it's been fucking it's been fucking great <laughs> cheers cheers mate. yeah it's yeah it's funny i mean like you you said i mean it's kind of started all these these trips and uh, this has all started from a dream, you know, from when you're saving pocket money and going on a surf trip, you know, and you have a, an idea of where you want to go. It's just an extension of that, you know. Um, and we've been, yeah, we're in a really unique situation and, and needs backed us and given us the opportunity to do it. Um, that's where we're incredibly lucky, you know. So, yeah, the idea kind of gets stemmed and, and planted and 
it just sort of grows from there and it, yeah it's it's epic <laughs> so classy <laughs> so lucky you know so talk talk to us about this current adventure uh you know where did the the seed for this germinate well so how long ago was it now ish and i spent three four months driving around Oz, maybe six or seven years ago um which was the first sort of we called it lost track uh film that we did which was a 25 minute film from three months around and Mm -hmm. and i think we were sitting up in red bluff around a fire and sort of you know like just so stoked that you know couldn't believe where, where we were you're under the stars you're in that moment you know and just like imagine you know like if we somehow pull off to you know travel to different areas by different modes of transport and yeah and document the journey along the way it's you know we've always both of us have loved traveling and and filmmaking and surfing and yeah that kind of that trip led to the motorcycle trip around New Zealand mm-hmm. um three months on the the Royal Enfields and fuck man that, that was such a wild trip like it's such a you know dangerous trip in a lot of ways like you guys really sacked up it and and had a crack there because that that looked seriously unpleasant at times yeah yeah neither of us had our motorbike well actually i think ish had a um a little posty bike so he had his license i didn't have my license prior but had ridden a few bikes growing up and everyone's got a scooter in in indonesia sort of thing so um yeah i went into it with no license and neither of us had any experience on big bikes so a couple of months before i bought you know a semi off-road bike road bike um, just to kind of get a bit more comfortable on with a bit more weight on the road. But yeah, we just went into it super kind of naive in a way and, and, um, gung ho, but yeah, got, we, we were lucky enough to get hooked up with a couple of bikes from Royal Enfield and had all the gear and yeah, we were pretty self-sufficient for that trip it was maybe nearly four, four months or so. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Four months traveling and surfing with everything that you need on the back of your bike like i can't even really think of any time that's really been done before that was the that's the yeah that's the best thing about it you know you you have everything you need right there like i remember you know so much goes time and excitement goes into the lead up of a trip and planning it and then all of a sudden you're there with the motorbike and you're like oh there's nothing else to do like we're here and that's everything i need and we're off like and um yeah that, you know the you know how you feel when you pack the panel van or the van or whatever and you're on the road and you've got everything there and you kind of it's the only place you can be as well you know like it's it's cool but yeah that so that was the second trip and then the next one was the the van trip from bought the van in UK drove up to Scotland and Ireland then down to West Africa to Senegal yeah the ultimate like northern hemisphere surf trip like the ultimate yeah. From fucking psycho freezing cold slabs in Scotland to mine melting right pits, right point pits in fucking Morocco and, and so on. That was, again, it's just like, it's like you've cooked up the dream and you've lived it out, but you've done it in such a, a kettleish way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the way that you'd do it and I've always done it. You save a little bit of money by the cheapest shittest car or bike or whatever you can afford you know, and you just go and do it. Just 
like it's the only way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like- <laughs> yeah, it is the only way to do it. It's uh, I guess that uh, we're in a culture now of um, you know top flight surfing where people don't ever do it that way anymore. Bar mm. like yourself and you know, there's a couple, there's a handful of guys I guess who who, who really scrounge and and take the long road. Mm. But generally, it's like strike missions and um, y- you know, and it's you know hotels and uh, it's all kind of pretty well funded, well resourced. Yeah, uh, but you guys have done it the old school way, the way that we all do it. That, you're right. That is the the quintessential surf trip. That's why I enjoy watching them so much. Yeah, the way you do it, just the way you do it normally. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it's a fucking. It's always uh, it's always a clusterfuck at certain points. There's always things going wrong that you just could never have predicted. What are uh, what have been some of the all time stitch ups? Oh, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> it's endless, it's, eh? It's endless, but you know, like. You know, when you're on a big, big trip and it's just inevitable and things are happening all the time. So it's the short trips when you have a, a two week and you miss a ferry or a mm. flight or something that you're rattled. It's like these things, you're just like, oh, yeah, another stitch up. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. another, another week in this, like in the middle of nowhere, waiting for that to get fixed. Or, wow. Um, you know, it. and there's always a way around it and always adds more to the. Uh, the, you know, it's always something to look back on. It's not necessarily good at the time, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved. Uh, it's probably the the wildest one that the, the fucking wildest swell chases strike missions that's ever been done is in that film. <laughs> <laughs> Driving from Scotland to Morocco and like just dead straight in a straight line. Fuck, and yeah. then only to get there and the ferries are melting down because it's a thousand foot. Yeah, yeah. That was a. That's pretty high on the on the list of skunking. <laughs> the stress, the stress, stress levels, levels must have been fucking plutonium grade. But it all came together like, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's people out there that are just doing it every day. Like, it's just legends that are living off the grid and, you know, aren't documenting that stuff. And you come across those characters everywhere in the middle of nowhere and they're just out there surfing solo and, and that that they're the people that I have the most respect for, you know. They're the people you, that inspire me to do it, you know. Like seeing that, you're like, yes. Like, and then sometimes you even by by filming and making something of it, it's like, I don't know. You're like, oh, I want to be doing it for a deeper reason as well, even though it is, you know. Yeah, well, you're so. kind of doing justice to a, a culture that's very strong in surfing. Like, like you mm. said, it's like in the underground, I guess. Uh, and I guess by documenting it, you can sometimes fear that you'll blow the mystique or magic out of it but i don't think you are i think what you're doing is just you know uh documenting how we all do it all the time because cash is an issue (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah fuck it's so much to dive in on there because you know i'd love to talk to you about all those trips um and i guess definitely uh i'll be keen to revisit um just that trip the 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 europe north africa to senegal trip was fucking heroic and classic and the waves you scored were mental but onto the boat um so that's the the new phase and like yeah i guess you've you've done it all now motorbike car boat um who's whose boat is it fuck i mean last <laughs> i saw you were fucking piloting a tinny around uh that was the warm-up <laughs> yeah that was the warm-up this is the natural progression catching snapper in a tinny and then just uh sailing the archipelago where did you set off from so um Backtrack a little. So, yeah, it's my old man's boat. True. He's had it for f- close to 14 years. Wow. And 
Ayana and I were looking at buying a boat. Um, I'd kind of been thinking and talking about sailing for the last couple of years and needed to do something about it. Uh, I just sort of had a bug that needed to be scratched, you know, and it, um, he, I started talking about boats and looking seriously to buy and he'd been trying to sell that boat through COVID uh, up in the Gulf of Thailand. He's had it up there for a number of years and um, it kind of led to him, he basically just said like the boat's not getting used, you know, it's been here for three years, can't sell it, take the boat if you love it, you know, keep going, you know, maybe sail it back to Australia or Lombok because he was looking at shipping it back and um, yeah, it was an opportunity too good to not to take up, you know, like, because originally it was, you know, buy a boat and sail here and uh, sail there um, or whatever we could we could pull off and it kind of just landed in our lap, you know, like that. Uh, but obviously it needed a bit of work to get going and um, there was a lot to learn. Uh, but it, yeah, it all just sort of came around quick and we, we jumped on the opportunity, you know. Fuck, that's cosmic. Wow. And so who's the experienced sailor on board or who is the crew? <laughs> Ayana and I. <laughs> you shit me. Um, it is now, yeah. So fucking hell. That's, yeah, that's pretty I'm, wild. I'm, I'm somehow a captain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, which is classic. Uh, but so we started. Yeah, when we started, so we got to the boat in in uh, March, start of March. Spent a th- a few weeks, kind of. The, yeah, it had been, you know, needed. Not a lot of no structural, but. You know, a lot few of the instruments weren't working. Rigging, some of the rigging needed to be replaced. Um, boat was full of mold, and you know, replaced a bunch of the fittings and skins and batteries, and you know, yeah, a few weeks just sort of getting it together and and sort of preparing ourselves for the trip, and and then from there we we kind of made our way across the from boat was in Pattaya, which is a couple of hours from Bangkok, and then we made our way across to the south of Cambodia. Ko Chang and then southern Cambodia, which leads into the South China Sea, yeah. and then sort of jump down there uh, to a little island off Malaysia called Redang, mm-hmm. and then from there below Singapore. And um, for that first leg, that was that took us about a month or so. And um, for two weeks, three weeks of that was uh, a friend of my old man's, George. He's a, a diesel mechanic, and he's been sailing that area for the last ten. Yeah, twelve years. Wow. Uh, the poor bugger just lost his boat in that, you know, that uh, uh, typhoon that yeah. was in the Philippines. On the smash Shargao and that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He lost his boat there. Wow. Um, heavy boat. He had the boat for seventeen years and couldn't get to it through COVID. And he just he'd built a, a mooring for it that was as solid as it gets, and that thing was just so ferocious it took it out. Um, so. Yeah, he kind of had a bit of a broken heart at the time, you know. He was he couldn't even get back to the boat, and and they were trying to he'd lost everything he had on the boat, and they were trying to screw him for for money and everything to clean True. it up. And it was just a super sad story. Uh, but he's a really nice guy. His name's George, and and he came with us and and showed us the ropes, you know. And a few things happened in that early part of the trip that I'm really glad someone like him <laughs> was there. Yeah. Like, man, I mean, when I think about long distance boat voyages, sailing, it, it fills me with fear, man. I just picture like all the hidden bombies and reefs and like just all the shit that can go wrong. And you basically, 
the way I understand it too, if you're going to sail boats, you basically need to be a mechanic almost. Like you need to be able to repair shit on the run a lot of the time. Um, if not a mechanic, pretty handy. For, for sure. Yeah, man. I'm none of those. <laughs> I'm not a mechanic. I <laughs> consider myself pretty hopeless. Um, but most of it's common sense, you know, and you've got, you've got two engines. You've got your sails and you've got a, an engine that you praise pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, you're learning so much every day and having someone to learn from is you know even just the basics and what it's more what to do when shit hits the fan mm, kind of thing mm. and uh yeah that you know that's been a, a huge learning curve and, and having no experience at all going into it the ocean scares the shit out of me too mm. like um you know you, you uh, growing up surfing and spending so much time around it you kind of i felt like i knew more going into it than i actually know like i'm you know, the more you, the more time you spend, the less you know, the less you realise that you know, sort of thing. And um, but that was kind of the lure to it too. That's it kind of felt like a challenge. I really wanted a challenge, and you know, and something that would be rewarding too. And yeah, what were the big rewards of that journey like? Um, so I guess so. Leg one ends uh, what off Singapore somewhere, and then from there it's across uh, to Arche or. What was the the route after that? Yeah, so that first leg finished us in a little harbour called Putri, which is um, it's on the Malaysian side of the river that separates Malaysia and Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, around from the Singapore Channel, and that's or the Singapore Strait. That's like one of the busiest shipping channels in the world. Wow, you know, so yeah. yeah. I mean, now that I've now that where we are, reflecting back on the different legs, you know, they were all really different, different, different oceans, different obstacles and, and challenges and stuff. But um, from there, we, we made our way up the Moluccan Strait to Langkawi, mm-hmm. um, which was, wasn't too far. I think it was maybe four or 500 nautical miles. Um, and then Langkawi was going to be our last kind of resupply, refit sort of port of... Um, Basically, our, the last place we could actually get really good supplies and really good fuel and, and food and, and everything, you know, it was the last marina we we had access to. Mm-hmm. Indonesia's slim pickings. There's no, no docking or anything like that. No refueling on docks and, True. and stuff. So, yeah, it was a good, you know, we got as many kind of spare parts and bits and bobs that we could to kind of set us off and, and prepare for that semi sort of notorious leg of crossing the Malacca Strait. Wow, why is it notorious? I don't know a whole lot about it. It's funny, like um I mean I was hearing sort of lots of lots of sort of secondhand stories of of piracy and stuff up there. So believable. And it's such a, a an impoverished part of the world and, and, and pretty lawless, I mean, between yeah. the far western reaches of Indonesia and, and Malaysia. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you um, I go- started Googling like most dangerous sailing and it came up as number two in the world. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, fuck. Like, and we're just so green, have no idea what we're doing. I'm, and your head just starts playing tricks. And in America, before where we were before we started the trip, you know, people were like, yeah, you're going to take a gun? Like, and you're like, no. I'm like, what am I going to do with a gun? You know, like, I just, and so anyway, like, throw it at him. Throw everyone, it at the pirate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
shoot yourself. Yeah. <laughs> just panic and shoot yourself. The Aussie right uh, method of just punching yourself in the head when someone's trying to beat you up. Just fetal position. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so we kind of had that sort of thing in our head. But, it's, I mean, the piracy issue is just sort of where there's – I don't even think there's been a recorded um, – attack or anything on small sailing boats mm. it's all large cargo ships and hijackings and stuff like mm-hmm. that um but it is that area that strait strait is notorious for for weather you've got like north sumatra there which is uh huge it's got lake toba which is creates a crazy amount of weather in its own little ecosystem and wow and they're these systems called the uh, black sumatrans and they're just these ferocious like brutal storms that just and they come through so red hot and you know it's just squalls basically but um you you barely see them coming and and they just sort of flatten you know like wow 40 60 knots sort of thing (laughs) and you just get belted around and you're like you know if you're off the edge of a shipping channel or if there's other fishing boats or or nets around you're blind and you're kind of at the mercy of it so yeah, you, it's a, it's there's a lot kind of going on. Yeah, for sure. and f- and forecasting for those like super volatile storms would be really hard. I'd imagine you can't really predict when they're going to come in and swat you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, for the best part, when you do have signal, you um, you know, you get a bit of a read, but it's all so localized. You know, mm. they just brew out of nowhere. And, wow. And yeah, they're not forecasted. They're not you know big big low pressure systems that travel from a long way you know they just brew up and just explode and and then they all of a sudden they're gone and it's quiet and still and there's you know like you're sort of like uh fuck man again like you know i guess this is just more more testament to how ballsy these travel adventures that you're undertaking are you know not the piss in your pocket too much but like you know traveling new zealand in the fucking depths of winter getting hammered by wind and rain on a motorbike with fucking a i don't know what board you're carrying but it looked pretty long and uh yeah just being on a yacht when you've never sailed one before going through the malacca straight and shit man it's fucking it's core travel adventures for sure fucking wild (laughs) i guess it's not until you say it out loud sometimes you kind of get to reflect on how skits it all is it is and it isn't though it's you're there Himself. It's my dog just knocking shit over. Um, it isn't, it isn't. You're kind of there in the moment and you're, you're doing it and there's still nowhere else you really want to be and it's, um, and there's, you know, there's other people out there, everyone, you know, you're out there sharing the experience and it's about as, you feel alive, you know, like it's kind of as good as it gets, like, yeah. Such a good point, yeah, because that is the, the reality of, uh, you know, dealing with fear, like once you actually doing that thing it's a whole lot less scary than you think like the fear is it's it's ideas it's it's your mind playing tricks on you a lot of the time you know it's uh and like i'm not like i'm i i consider myself as a pussy you know like i'm scared like it scares the hell out of me and um yeah it's really character building and uh yeah it's yeah i'm i'm no, no hero like that i'm like yeah i'm 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 not that tough like it's scary so once you get to indo what's the plan uh from that point on where did you head 
So we, uh, yeah, we, we checked ourselves in, uh, in a little island off the north of Aceh called Sabang, mm-hmm. little port town, little port island. Um, and that's where we cleared in, cleared the boat, got our visas. The boat basically, the way it works is the boat gets a, a green book, which is its own permit to, to be in Indonesia for three years. Wow. Um, it's, you know, it costs 50 bucks or something. So th- essentially a three-year visa. Yeah, yeah, oh, for, the, for the boat, you know, and um, you're, you're supposed to report in every six months or so and you give them a bit of an idea of what your plans are with the boat and where you plan to travel and um, and then your personal visas are, are basically the same as, you know, if you were to jump on a plane or whatever. So uh, at the time, borders and, and port entries and stuff were, were restricted, so I had to go in on a... Ayana and I had business visas, um, which is, it's like a tour, business tourist sort of thing. It's a six-month visa, yeah. 60-day entry, extended a couple of times. Um, and, yeah, so that kind of kind of broke the ice for us, for Indo. Um, and from there, we, we so we, we kind of had a couple of weeks there, just kind of resetting and, and refueling, and then... From there, we followed the north of Sumatra down, um, down the coast of, yeah, down the west coast into the Indian Ocean, and now we're in sort of exposed yeah. seas, yeah, sort yeah. of thing, where the rest of it had been, uh, you know, a lot more protected and and you know not really raw swell sort of thing. Yeah, what was it like crossing into you know proper proper long period energy and and proper swell? Is it a noticeable difference once those oceans change, and does the does everything change the the environment, like the on land? Like, is it a whole different world? Well, that um, it was pretty pretty confronting because uh, we wanted to get through a storm before. Basically, the north of Aceh um, goes into where Sabang sits off the top. There's a, a, a string of little islands, and we could have gone a longer way. It would have added maybe fifty miles or so. Um, or less, but it was a longer route um, to go ar- around the top of these islands and sort of hug where the, the shipping channel goes. Uh, but instead, we took a, a bit of a bottleneck through the islands and the mainland, and uh, we left it at, at two in the morning to try and get uh, through the channel before this this front was hitting us. And uh, we kind of got met right in the middle of this bottleneck, and and all this ocean, as you'd imagine, from the Indian Ocean that has to get into the Malaccan Strait comes around there and um it, it we 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 didn't get a re- good reading on the tide so we were kind of dealing with a you know a hundred meter wide channel and all this energy coming around and it was before the sun had rose and <laughs> we're getting just so pounded like um wow. waves over the bow and and you know four knots of current on our nose and and just like uh yeah, the, the jerry, couple of jerry cans had unlashed themselves and you harnessed in trying to wrestle the things back on and it was like, yeah, pretty full on in your face. Like you're just like, oh shit, like it's Yeah, you're it's entering on. the Indian Ocean now, you're entering the swell zone. That's it, wild because you see those Indo Straits, like the Lombok Strait, wherever, and there's just so much ocean ripping up through them. It's wild. And you see what it does to the waves, you know, it'll jack the waves from fucking one foot to eight foot in yeah. a couple of hours. Like it's... That whole realm, that 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 change from, um, yeah, the Indian Ocean into that the other ocean, man, that's so wild. Yeah, oh, it was, 
yeah, it was right there on top of on top of us, and we were just sort of in a hundred meter wide channel. That's insane. Yeah, you know, like a little bottleneck, and um, you know, it was all all good. We'd been through a couple of pretty intense situations like that, and it gives you more confidence in in the boat, you know, and self and yourself. But it's still it's intense, and you know, water's coming through the hatches, and everything's soaked inside, and you kind of, you know, that was the first four hours of what was a, a four day passage like a trip you know so you know after that we were beating against the storm for 12 hours and made about 30 miles um and then the rest of the four days was absolutely perfect and clear and just had a nice little tailwind and stuff like it was you're just like oh god right when you think you're gonna break and you just rattled it kind of clears and all and all of a sudden it's over and you're like oh yeah (laughs) wasn't so bad (laughs) jesus and was this uh you and Ayana and the the other fella. Or was so uh, George left in, from Putri, and then yep. another guy, Kelly Foot. He's a filmer, and and he's done a bit of sailing uh, as well. He's from the states, and he joined us from that leg okay. um, for for three or four weeks there. Cool. Um, which was epic. Like just having someone else there for me um, gave me so much more confidence, and you know, like someone that's been through that you know for me and for Ayana and I like every storm you know we we learn something new and um yeah it's it's just for for those first few months like just having someone sort of there and and through those things is yeah super reassuring and and soften the blow you know fuck I'm glad you're alive dude I was worried for you when I saw those photos popping up on your Instagram I was like what's he doing this is fucking (laughs) loose like holy shit I just like nothing scares me more than than exactly that situation you're explaining that transpired like that's fucking it's kind of the the horror situation just getting belted in some bottleneck of a channel in fucking fuck knows where yeah it's crazy the amount of water that moves around out there it's insane, you know. Full throttle into into it, and you you're moving at 0.5 knots for eight hours. <laughs> you're just like, oh, uh. that's so wild. <laughs> when did you when did you start coming across waves? Um, that was at the end of that four days. Yeah, yeah. We got to a little little string of islands, um, and bent the corner of. Uh, all right, get off. Get out of here. Um, of an undisclosed location. <laughs> um, and we were greeted with this, like, two to three foot glassy, picturesque, like, gem of a little wave. Like, you couldn't have closed your eyes and painted a better picture of a, of your first, rock up to a wave sort yeah. of thing you know after three months of being on the boat like I was so beside myself and just hooting and screaming like and there was no one there like no one you know and you're just like freaking out like fully freaking out yeah I can't imagine and I mean these joints are so obscure that like people have probably surfed there but Fuck all, and it's a it was a, a known wave, oh, it was? and surfed yeah. wave. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I was a little like going into the real discovery of it. Like I'm not there yet mm. with my experience and mm. skills and stuff. Like I'm I've been playing it pretty safe, you yeah. know, in terms of 
just wanting to get my bearings and learn, you know, as much as I can. Like this, I've been surfing majority by myself, you know, um, which has been great, but not waves that have never been surfed before. Uh, just waves that are hard to get to. That. Yeah, that's a good distinction that you make because I guess in order to find waves and discover waves in, you know, joints that are as battered by swell and storms as Indo, you've got to be like a high-grade captain and have a lot of experience. Like, fuck, searching for waves in Indo. I mean, can you give us an idea of now that you know a bit about sailing, like how psycho it must have been to discover waves in that zone? Yeah, I mean, all the, the crew that have spent decades out there, they're full cowboys, you know, and, um, yeah, it's it's exactly that, you know, they're, they're pioneers and they're going to a place for the first time and, you know, there's not only the sailing and, and how treacherous the ocean is, but, you know, especially, you know, the malaria and, and disease and, and, and things getting around that can knock you out. It's such a, yeah, there's so many elements to it, mm. um, especially away, I mean, Sailing and that side of it, you know, a lot of the I think a lot of the crew, the boat, the guy, the boats, the guys had that were out there were you know traditional style, fi- fi- like Indonesian fishing boats and stuff that they'd they'd buy and and travel with and stuff, which were meant for those conditions. But um, and in some ways, that's kind of the boat you'd like to be on, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's I don't know. I I kind of feel. Again, it's kind of like the more you time you spend out there, the kind of less you know and <laughs> the less you know kind of thing. And it's or the more you learn, but the less you realise you know for me. But that um, the biggest challenge for me has been, or not challenge, but the biggest challenge out there is uh, a lot of it's really poorly and inaccurately charted. So all the maps and stuff that you use in digital maps and things are. Uh, yeah, they've they've really they're really inaccurate mm. out hundreds of meters like more than hundreds of meters bombies and and shoals and um you know submerged rocks and ships you know wrecks and you know part of the reason for that is in back in 2004 and 2007 they had a really heavy tsunami that you would have heard of yeah that, um but yeah 250,000 people dead and uh, Arche dead flattened yeah, yeah, wiped out. But with that was a, a huge earthquake that rose all the sea levels, you know, three to five meters mm-hmm. plus. So a lot of these, um, you know, entrance to bays and and bombies and waves and stuff, where the the ground's risen nearly five meters or five meters plus in some areas. And, <laughs> and if your boat, you know, my boat draws two meters, and you know, you could have been you'll be going over what I mean, what you think is you know, a seven metre bombie, which is plenty of water, a wave, it'd have to be a huge swell to break there. Mm. But that could only be two metres deep. And I've been surfing waves and, and looking at my, my charts and it says it's 15 metres deep and I'm surfing a, a slab and it's not even marked at all. Wow. So it's this, you can't, like, just the more you realise that and then you jump in the boat and do a night passage or, or something, you kind of, yeah, it, you, you kind of realise that, you, you can't trust the maps and charts and stuff, which is, I mean, you use them for reference only in a lot of new places. It's sort of daytime navigation only until you get your tracks mm-hmm. and things and then you, uh, and then you, you know, you kind of solo. But for the, for like the, the deep passages and crossing islands and stuff, you, you're pretty sweet. Mm. But, um, 
but yeah, when you kind of start getting in the little group of islands and you you sort of hopping around looking for waves, and it's yeah, kind of hit and miss. Mm. And what about the first pumping waves you got on the trip? That was um, we were so lucky. We weren't. We didn't have. Um, signal for about three weeks or so so no forecasting of waves and and that first string of islands that we got to as our first sort of surfing um destination i guess uh we had you know apart from a couple of little squalls and storms like amazing weather uh consistently like three to six foot really fun waves the charter boats hadn't started their season yet like even though there's only one or two that sort of hang up there um surf majority by myself just like couldn't believe it you know couldn't believe what was behind us and where we were and what was in front of us like so it was just this like you, you almost euphoric feeling you know and and just like holy shit we've made it and we're surfing and there's no one around like it's so sick it completely changes the experience doesn't it i was that, that was kind of where i was heading was like you know what's it like to rock up at maybe you've even surf this spot before pumping but you surfing it now having sailed there it must completely change the the whole experience yeah absolutely and it well it was it's a place that i'd never been to before um and just sort of heard you know whispers of and as you you know you kind of you kind of sort of make you know make little pins and notes and things and then you go into a place with an expectation or something um but for that like for that feeling of sitting out there and the boat's anchored in the channel and you drop the pick and you're looking at the waves and you get out there and you're surfing and just sort of looking around, pinching yourself, you know, and you paddle back to the boat for make a little quesadilla or something, <laughs> some eggs, and, and you just can't believe it. Like, it's the best feeling in the world for me that I've ever had, I think. That's amazing. Fuck, that's so cool, man. Wild. What about um? I guess like looking back across the the trips that you've done now with the Lost Track series, like you know, what are the standout sessions or the standout like you know even little passages of adventure that you've had? Say like starting with uh, Australia. Say the first one. Like what was it? Was it a particular session? Man, funnily enough, I was thinking today that uh, me and my mate Caleb come over the hill at one joint and uh, ran into you in the middle of fucking nowhere. I was reminiscing on that this morning too <laughs> yeah, when I got the classic. message for, from you. I yeah. thought, we've been super barreled together yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Well, I was fu- was- it was funny thinking back to that session like, um, you know, it's a, you know, like a, a somewhat regulation slab when it's perfect. When it's not, like this day, it was a few wash-throughs and uh, I think – I. My first wave, I went head first over the falls, and um, my second wave, I got tubed. But in that same amount of time, I think those two incidents were probably like an hour or two hours apart. And I watched you just stuff your face, mate. I watched you fucking pack about twenty in a row. Felt like I lost the grand final after that session. Watching someone just—I was watching you on those those morning of the earth twenties, the swallowtail ones, just like pretty much wheeling down the fucking. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like we got it. Two different memories of that session. <laughs> I thought we were all having a great time. Oh, I was having a hell of a time. Don't worry about that. I was fucking enjoying myself. Uh, myself, Jezza, you, and, and Tubby, that, and Caleb. And Caleb. That was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck, unbelievable, man. And um, just cooking. Uh, you can see that session in, in Lost Track, I'm pretty sure. Um, but 
Yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> it's the funny. Uh, man, it's funny too. Just I was thinking today as well, like just another tangent, like how, um, I don't know, somewhat similar our journeys have been in, in different ways though, just like thinking uh, and, and just the way we've, we've crossed over at different times in our life, like um, super bizarre to think that, you know, I wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for Simon Jones, who, you know, you're very close to. He's a, a very dear mutual friend of both of ours. But I was just thinking, like, how wild it is that, you know, I wouldn't have anything to do with surfing if it wasn't for him. Like, um, you know, he shaped me my first board. He encouraged my mother to get me into surfing. My mom's from Forbes, so, you know, it's five hours west. She doesn't know anything about the ocean. And, uh, like, everything I've done in my career can basically be traced back to him. None of it would have happened if it wasn't for him. And then um, I look at yourself and, like, what you guys have managed to do with the boards, the Morning of the Earth surfboards, like, has, you know, it's, it's reinvigorated uh, surfing. There's been new lines and drawn on, the, on that equipment, particularly in J-Bay and, and stuff like that. And what you guys have managed to do, and now we're sitting here opposite each other talking, and it's just weird that he's kind of like the head of the apple tree. And then, but even above that, it's, it's Albie, um, who are you very close to as well? And just thinking of, uh, you know, to, to stumble across you in the desert on some misto slab, and it's just you and uh, a couple of mates and me and a mate. It's, it's, it's quite a cosmic and trippy. It is. It's <laughs> funny how the world works. And yeah, cheers. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs> it's been a hell of a journey. Fuck. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I just I wanted to make sure I brought that up because um, you know just to give full credit to Simon for the guy that he is and uh, you know what he's done for me is remarkable. Um, just to kind of explain, I guess uh, to the listeners because I haven't really talked about this before, but like you know I was raised by a single mom and my mom was really tight with Simon and Bess. Um, and uh, this was back when Simon was living in Manly with Ben Brown, who's actually the mad cartoonist who draws our fucking all of our art and stuff it's right. like tricky that's, that's... cosmic man i remember him living in this like red brick fucking unit in manly this classical bong scum dungeon with like the nirvana Nevermind poster of the baby you know trying to get the dollar bill and the glass bong and the fucking fishtail skaters <laughs> and the shag pile carpet and um you know and you know he was just kind of a removalist back in those days and go shaping for, for whoever and, um, you know, I remember him moving to Suffolk and we'd come up and visit him at Suffolk and then on to Cooper Shoot and obviously he's had a great family and uh, he's progressed with the the shaping and the, the boards that he's making have, have you know, they've, he's made all kinds of surfboards in his life but him and you together, the collaboration has produced something that's gone to another level and, and, and to watch both of you guys, you know, just reach full bloom you know him as a shaper you as a surfer when I, I i knew both of you guys prior to that i knew when simon was just like you know kind of working really hard to to put food on the table for his family and um do it in a really pure and passionate way and i i knew you i think i met you first in bali man fucking years ago when i was living there like when you're riding shorties and ripping still but very different style of surfing and so to see it all um kind of converge it's fucking mental (laughs) (laughs) it's wild isn't it like it's it's funny how yeah funny how the world works and the way one thing leads to another and that it's all kind of connected you know yeah yeah it's 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 a special it's certainly a special relationship that we all have yeah and um yeah it's 
Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really know the depth of all of that. But. Yeah, yeah, it goes back a ways, and uh, I mean, but interestingly, like you know, Simon fulfilled almost the same role for both of us. Like in in terms of being like a, a kind of an uncle or a father figure. Like I was raised by a single mom. You were raised by a single mom, um, and you know, he kind of he he's so selfless in filling that void, or not that there's a void, but like just you know, just giving warmth and kindness and advice and like he was just a, a different kind of male figure than I'd ever really encountered in my life. And to, like maybe him and my uncle were kind of similar, but yeah, it's a, it's been sick to just to see, you know, him be able to work with you in, in such a familial way. And yeah. Yeah. No, I can totally it. relate to, to what you're saying. He, he is, he's um, incredibly grounded and, and, genuine um and their whole family you know bessie and tahiti and dash you know they're just so comforting to be around Uh, like exactly they make you they make you feel so welcome and just let you in exactly and that's how i felt from the moment i met simon like um and then i guess yeah the you know the the relationship we've had and the you know the way that it's kind of gone is yeah just sort of it's just felt really natural you know like yeah and yeah, from the moment you meet him, you you just kind of it. I mean, yeah, that was just sort of yeah. Because <laughs> you, you kind of get like two archetypes, or in surfing, often um, we, especially with guys who've been around the industry and the game for a bit, and like they can be really jaded and like, oh, you know, this is the way surfing's done. This is how you you're meant to be, and um, like, you know, they can be quite dismissive of of change and and new ideas and stuff. Um, and that particularly applies to to people. You know, it's just a, that's a pretty common character type. And then Simon's like kind of represents the, the opposite of that, where he's super open ideas, super you know listens to Radio National and all the fucking podcasts while he's shaping boards in his tin shed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's super open ideas and yeah, just like really, um, you know, just a really good person to work with. I, I, I imagine. What was it like? Uh, I mean, how did that relationship kind of get started? And um, yeah, talk us through arriving at the boards that you've arrived at today because they're fucking mental yeah yeah it um i mean like i said that that relationship kind of happened really naturally simon and i had had met and he was shaping a board for a uh i think it was like a corona something to do with the corona house in belongel and they were Mm. doing a board test sort of thing and um we kind of met down at lennox point there and and shared a couple of words and a and a few waves together and and not far off the back of that was a like a tracks board test that simon was shaping a board for and and i happened to be on and and we kind of connected there and he made a board for that trip um for me and which was a a little five seven six channel bottom single film beautiful his style everything but wasn't i didn't gel with it at Mm. all you know and i had never really ridden a single film before and uh, I ended up putting a couple of side plugs in it and turned it into a little twinny and and just became my sort of staple board and I um, and his and I relationship kind of grew from there. When I was like, oh, you know, like at the time I was spending quite a bit of time in Bali and Indo and um, and then as we kind of got to know each other better uh, and sort of communicate, you know, the feelings that I had on the boards and 
um, and he can translate that into you know his works of art sort of thing as well. It, it um, yeah, it all kind of flourished from there, and and him being so open to I wouldn't say constructive criticism, but just ideas and um, and bring it to life with the amount of experience that he'd had, and then one thing just kind of led to another for the mm. the lineage of the you know of I guess it's been yeah. Eight nine years or something now. Wow! Yeah, right. Um, Super interesting. I mean, and I, I guess a lot of people probably don't know that you know because your trajectory through surfing was so like uh, you know just had dips and troughs and stuff. You know, for a period you were working as a swim instructor in the middle of Sydney, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, much just dying in chlorine pools every day. In and, my early twenties, yeah, I was in um, the Bondi Pavilion. It working underground in a heavily chlorinated swimming pool. Like the pH <laughs> levels of that pool were like triple what they were supposed to be. I lost like all the hair on my body. <laughs> like it was, it was a really toxic environment. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, kind of sent me on this projection in a way, I think. You know, like, yeah, well, not, not that, but you know, like, just got to get the fuck out of this. I, this I actually l- I left there and went to Bali for a year. Yeah. And then it kind of, then I met Simon. And yeah. Then, you know, like it's, it, yeah. you know, in that kind of respect. So, yeah, you know. Oh, it's classic. I mean, the fact that you've experienced the grind of the working life is, man, it's, it's, it's a, such a, such a kind of a gift in a way, you know. It really does, t- to have to really work hard for a living, doing something that you don't want to do is such a formative thing that, you know, a lot of, people in the, the top rungs of surfing never go through you know mm. you're sponsored from the age of fucking 12 years old half the time and uh you know you kind of just skip from stone to stone and then you're on the tour and you're on big money and and or you get spat out the other side of it and you're fucking 20 with no skills and a mature age apprentice but <laughs> yeah uh, well i wouldn't i wouldn't say i kind of was ever doing anything that i really didn't want to do or i was like forced to do something you know mm. i kind of um, like from when I left school, I definitely wasn't like a, a prodigy kid or anything like that surfing. So, you know, through school, I'd save my, my pennies and for a trip up, you know, like, um, you know, for a couple of months, you know, with your mates and then uh, and then kind of just chip away at little jobs that had enabled me for the next adventure. Um, and then, you know, always doing things that, you know, I wanted to do. Uh, and yeah, the swimming instructing was an extension of that. I enjoyed it. I found it super rewarding and it was cool. I mean, the environment, that, that pool underground was heavy, but it was after that that I went to Bali and I bought a bunch of uh, floaties and pool toys and had a little mobile swim school. That's right. Yeah. Classic hustle, just, yeah. Yeah, it was a full little hustle and um, just had a, I had a bunch of noodles and, and um, <laughs> goggles and stuff on my scooter. And was just hooning around to different villas. I made these little pamphlets and, and flyers and things and was getting business. Like Fuck yeah. fully supporting me being there. And wow. Couldn't believe it, you know? Wow. And um and that's when things kind of started happening with filming and, you know, making a few little clips here and there. And, yeah. And um and then all of a sudden there was a couple of dollars to that and I'm like, Oh well <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, one thing kind of transitioned into another and uh yeah yeah oh it's classy it's classy and uh just back to the surfboards for a moment like i remember it's interesting you know simon prior to doing the the twins with you was doing a lot of single fins as you mentioned and uh for a period i think there's a project with kidman and 
was kind of linked up with Spirit of Akasha and MP. I remember Simon making boards with MP. He was basically MP's Michael Peterson's hands for a bit because um, uh, MP didn't want to go on the shaping bay. I remember that phase. And like, you know, his, his single fins were second to none. I've still got a couple. Um, but one thing he said to me, I remember, was that his twins are like more of a single fin in outline than anything else. And uh, the one way I've always related to his boards is that. The, t- the twins anyways like they kind of they paddle like a single fin but they go like a quad like they you know you get the craziest early entry into hollow slabbing waves that's like the, the cheat code of the single fin is that they just put you halfway down the ledge it's amazing but um you're able to to pump and wiggle a bit and just get really tubed which you've you know got down to a fine art um and another thing i remember him saying about the twins was um it's kind of relates to the I guess the channel bottom twin that's, you know, been such a mainstay of, uh, you know, the boards you were riding for a period. And I remember him saying that, like, I think Barton was riding like a Greg Clough twinny in Manly that, like, he's kind of, he borrowed a lot of inspiration from that design. But, um, yeah, just talk to us about, like, I guess that pivot from singlies to twins. Yeah, yeah, well... <clears throat> and onwards, because you guys have now made such a, a crazy array of surfboards like you, you, you've gone from a 5.9 or 5.7 whatever it was uh swallowtail tracks 20 like that was the first one right up to what were the things you're riding at j-bay that the yeah so j-bay that was a uh the, the massive there that was like a 7.9 channel bottom 20 um but that yeah it's funny because back to what you're saying between the you know the the sort of traditional single fin outline and the similarities with that, the twinnies is, yeah, essentially the templates are kind of there, you know, really similar, similar templates, real similar outlines. Um, I mean, Simon might write me off for saying that, like, but, you know, I, I think that um, there's a really lot of similarities through, through his designs and reoccurring sort of, Templars and rocket things between all of his his boards, um, and that kind of the twin fins. I don't know. Essentially, you you basically when you're on rail, you have one fin in the water, you know, in the inside or your outside rail, um, and that kind of I mean that lends itself to that of a single fin, right? You know, when you're using a lot more of your rail in the board rather than relying on on fins, but uh, yeah, the twin fin. I mean, that, that's kind of actually merged into the the design of the the fins themselves, um, and they, you know, what we've Simon and I've designed out of the fins to have have complemented that of a single fin, you know, and the way that they they sit in the water. Um, but I mean, there's so many variations of it all, and you know, for us, I guess we where it started was, you know, I was spending a lot of time in in Bali and surfing waves in Indonesia. Well world-class waves where uh, you have a lot of, you know, you get to surf, not, you never surf the same waves, wave twice, but it's a lot more mechanical and you get a lot more time to really feel what's under your feet and get a, a, a good read on a, a board and, and in a good quality wave. Um, so I guess, yeah, the development and of the boards and uh, through Simon and I has, has been generally in, in nice long period, good good waves, mm. good shaped waves. Um, and, you know, for each kind of trip, 
over our relationship, each sort of film project or each kind of chapter, um, there's been either a certain wave in mind that's kind of sparked the next idea of where to go with it. Cool. Uh, before, like spending time in Bali, I, I realised that I, and Indo, that I realised that I like a shorter board for, you know, especially on your back end. On my back end, I like shorter boards um, and looser boards. Uh, and then, so, you know, surfing waves like Desert Point and stuff where you've got all the time in the world to, you know, fill a board in the tube and, and a nice long open wall and stuff, you can really kind of get to know a wave and a board. Um, and and then, you know, like surfing a wave like Mexico where it's littered with right-hand sand bottom point breaks come out of a, you know, a big deep ocean far away. So uh, that's when the kind of... the the longer boards for me kind of gelled there, uh, but the start of the progression of long boards, first big board I had, or big at the time, was 6.6, six, and it was a, we called it the Fiji because it was at cloud break. Yep, that, remember that board, the that, triple string up. Yeah, so that's that, that board, uh, that trip, that is where that board came from. Yeah. Fuck, you got a crazy one out there too, man. That was like, it, it, <laughs> it was a big board and a big wave, <laughs> and like, that was when I was kind of uh surprised where you're at in your surfing that was a seemed like a full charge to me mm. yeah it was the first time surfing a big sort of heavier wave and stuff too and um and then and it, that board just felt great and it felt really natural it's and so that, buttery in that cliff yeah that's all you want from a board is something to feel natural and i feel like the less you have to think about a board the better it is so you get a new board and you're not trying to not criticizing it or trying to break it down you just go and surf and you're like it feels good so stop thinking about it. Like, don't overthink it. Um, but it was, it's more like uh, going to a new wave or a new place and going, what sort of feeling would I like from that wave or what would I like to get out of it or what, you know, what, what kind of is the next step? Um, but, yeah, that's when, I mean, J-Bay was 2017 that we spent a month there and... That was the first, the seven nine right in there. That massive, uh, that was initially made for. Uh, Glenn, the yeah yeah. Fuck, what is that dude's name? He's around here. Um, Patagonia kind of. I can't believe I'm blanking. I'm yeah, looking at him right I'm now. Glenn, Glenn, uh, that's good enough. Yeah. Uh, fuck. Glenn Casey. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I was just playing him. Sorry. Um, so that was originally made for Glenn, and I think, I think he hurt himself. Um, he took it down to South Oz and spent a bit, I think he spent a month or two with it and never surfed it. And I got my hands on it and totally left wing, because at the time boards were getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then this thing came around, and I'm like, oh, that'd be great for the pass, or, you know, just like a, a tiny little grovely wave. And, and it really just opened my eyes, and I'm just like, this is so fun from one to 10 foot. Like you can surf it in anything. And it's, um, you know, you, I was catching so many waves and just having an absolute ball on it. And then, and then from there, that seven, nine, I, I, we sort of just started filling the gap because jumping from a big board to a little board, it throws you out of whack. You know, you, you feel so far and it's no, it's, it's hard to find any familiar ground between a, a long, a big board and a little board sort of thing. So yeah, that was the idea. Um, well, that's where that kind of next five years went. He's sort of filling in the gap from 
seven nine to five four. Yeah, <laughs> fair gap there. Wow, man, talk us through that that trip to Jay Bay because I mean, Thank You Mother is one of the great surf films that's come out in the last twenty years. I reckon, like uh, of all time, I'd, I'd say even you know everything uh, down to the narration and just the wisdom of Albie in that film and the quotes and the music. But you know, first and foremost, the surfing's. It's new. It's 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 funny. It's like uh, it's old, but but new at the same time. It's like classical lines done at a speed and with a, a level of control that I just hadn't seen before. It was completely mind blowing to me. Um, did you have a sense during that trip, or like even like on the day one when it was cooking? Like, did you just have a sense of like, fuck, this is magic. This board is magic. Yeah, I mean, when you at. Uh- Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa for the first time and it's six foot and it's magic <laughs> just regardless of what board you're on um, and when you've got a big board and you're paddling around wide and and catching you know waves and not doing runarounds and and just yeah it was it was magic and that's where I was like wow it's like a big board and a board that you can move on is amazing you know and you, it just yeah, it's such a different feeling for sure and um, I had to be kind of in the right time and place for it, like in my surfing to to appreciate it and it kind of all happened together and, and there, you know, like getting to actually experience those waves and surf that on that board really kind of changed the projection for me with boards and things. Like it, it opened my eyes and, um, yeah, I mean, Simon gets all credit for that. Like he, you know, that board... This is creation, and um, well, that board was inspired by someone that he met, uh, especially that was on actually a, a, a push bike journey around Oz, and had a one board quiver, and that was very similar. Uh, wow, is that yeah. right? Yeah, a guy named Simon Murdoch. Wow. Yeah. No way. That yeah. is. Uh, that's so cosmic. So. What was the nature of uh, the bicycle journey? Do you remember? Was he just just doing it for shits and giggles? Or? He's a bit, a bit of an underground legend, and, yeah. and does you know he's done a few sort of solo kind of Hobie sailing kayak trips and wow. push bike sort of across. He rode across I think the Great Australian Bight. Like he rode from east to west with a fucking seven nine on the side of his push. Yeah, I think his board was was a bit smaller, maybe a seven footer. Or I'm not sure the exact you size. You think fucking but... Lost Track New Zealand was impressive? <laughs> yeah, I know. well, that not that epic? Like, that's so inspiring. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of, yeah, it's funny. One thing leads to another one thing you see or do or person you meet or, you know, it, it all kind of connects. Yeah, man. That, and that... That inter, interlinked nature of things and the, and the way it's like, I guess everyone's heart is in the right place. So it, it, it kind of makes sense that we're meeting at, at certain uh, critical points along the way and, and kind of uh, pushing each other in the right direction because, yeah, we're all headed to the the same place or headed in the same direction, which is ultimately the grave. But uh, prior, to, <laughs> <laughs> prior to the grave. Prior to the grave, uh, you know, we're, uh, yeah, kind of pushing the same thing in life, I guess, um, you know, I guess, like, you know, hanging out with Albie, hanging out with Simon, um, you know, how have these guys influenced your, 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 just lo- your life, your, your outlook on life? Uh, Albie's such a wise character, man. It's It's been such a pleasure to get the chance to, to sit with him a handful of times. And, um, you know, again, a, a guy who really shatters that 
poxy fucking toxic male archetype um you know this guy's he's so calm and wise and jolly and loves his surfing and you know he's into his meditation he's such an eclectic dude um you know how have these guys uh, what what lessons have you taken from them i guess yeah i guess i mean uh so so i met albie through simon uh and that was when we were Obviously, Simon and I's relationship was developing, and, and then when we had the idea of making the film, um, thank you, mother. But that the idea of making that film basically wanted to, we wanted to document the relationship between Simon and Albie, and then Simon and myself, sort of thing. So we, you know, we went into it with a total different sort of vision, thinking, you know, about telling everyone's stories and how that sort of thing. And obviously, you know, we've find it hard to find someone that hasn't been inspired at some point in their life by Morning of the Earth. You know, that is the most iconic film of surfing. Totally, you know? man. Yeah. That in the endless summer, right? 100%. And the fact that it was made by... I was tripping like uh, we had Albie on the program actually and to learn that, you know, Albie grew up in Redfern of all places in a fucking tenement and, um, you know, that was weirdly where I spent a lot of my childhood my, you know my mum we lived in camp and our mum was dating a, a crew boat from the block and it was just weird that like you know Albie started tracks my first job was at tracks and uh to then you know Albie's connection with Simon like super bizarre mm. um and just like Albie's film how that influenced Simon that like changed his life you know he watched that film and was like fuck I'm not gonna live in Sydney and work for the man the rest of my days. I'm going to move up to the North Coast and, and make boards. And um, then Simon's influence on me, uh, like, I don't know, it's, it's a crazy tree of influence. And then you've come into the picture and tied it all together so beautifully in, in this film. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was when we kind of started delving into the relationships and lives of Albie and Simon, um, you know, spending more time with Albie and, and, you know, being led into his personal life and, and just being around him, you know, he's just such a ray of light and energy and just positivity and, mm. and you know, uh, for someone that's been through so many of the, the generations of surfing and, and has such a positive outlook on it and, and life, it, you know. Um, but the words, I mean, the narration throughout the film is basically... We were sitting around a, a coffee table having a cup of tea and, and Albie, you know, he speaks. When he speaks, you you listen, you know. It's just so much wisdom and um, he has, you know, just an incredible way with his words. And, and for us, we spent the months after kind of editing, still going down the track and, and, and Ishka and I kind of stood back for a second and just listened, like, and just listened to his words and what he was saying. And, and that's where that, the narration, you know, the the backbone of the film came. We're like, wait, like, let's just stop and listen to what he's saying, you know, and not put anything else in there. And it and it kind of like really started uh, resonating with us, and and kind of became something like where you deeply listen, you know, and 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 kind of reflect on yourself. And that's where we kind of felt, you know, yeah, you know, it'd be really nice just to share that. And, and that's all. <laughs> um, and then, you know, naturally Simon and I's relationship are there with the boards and, and Simon came to, Simon and Dash came to J-Bay with us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, 
it's it's just back to that thing how it's um, how one thing's just led to another and, and the circle of life. <laughs> And that thing has led to, you know, I was listening to a, a Surfers Journal podcast, which is actually really good. Highly recommend it. Brizik doing one with uh, Tony Alba and he's name checking you, dude. Tony Alba, the, the lord of Dogtown, <laughs> the fucking like, you know, original skating world champ. Like, I can't even think of a more iconic skater or surfer, really. Like, you know, he was right there for the, the shortboard revolution. This guy's like name checking his favorite surfers and it's it's Torin Martin, it's Asher Pacey, you know, he, he, from memory they were all Australians but like to, to <laughs> see like to see the this tree of influence you know influence the world in, in such a way is heartening you know in, in the midst of fucking uh, capitalism gone haywire and the environment degrading and, and, and just corporate uh, horseshit everywhere you turn you've got this really pure uh, heartfelt project that's resonated so hard. Fuck, it's, it must feel good. I mean, it feels good to, to watch it. So, you know, I guess uh, congratulations on, on really, you know, p- pushing the, the right message in life, I guess. Yeah, thank you. And it's, I mean, yeah, it, it obviously it feels special, but it's not just me, you know, now that the way things have, have grown with, you know, the, the filmmaking and, and um, you know, with the support and being able to do it, you know, it's it's epic to have feedback and and being you know have you know be able to share it and and um hey get it hey just have that kind of yeah opportunity to yeah kind of, you know tell a story and and have help telling the story too totally we've got to give a, a massive shout out to ishka ishka's the man fuck yeah. um yeah he's a huge part of this and he's been on all of these journeys these hairbrain fucking Absolutely. skits travel missions oh my lord uh, yeah. i can't i just can't imagine that trip to nz <laughs> but it's just looks so rough but uh big shout out to ishka folkwell the man behind the lens on all these projects mate um ishka yeah ishka and, and ryan scanlon you know he's, he's believed in ishka and i from day one and, yeah and need you know they've on, they're only ever saying yes you know and su- supporting us to keep doing what we love and and helping connect the dots with it all you know like from hearing a random song when you're driving through the middle of western sahara and then you can put the track behind some some surfing of one of the most memorable sessions of your life or something so so sick yeah that's you know that's and then you know for me creating these films and and being able to do these trips is something that i'll obviously cherish forever but to be able to look on back on that in 20 or 50 years or something you know and the relationships that have 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 grown through it and the people that i've met and and all of it, you know, it's like, yeah, I feel so lucky. Like, Fuck, it's incredible. Man, how much time you got? Do you have to go soon? No, it's all good. Oh, it's cool. Because, um, man, just that, that trip to Western Sahara and, and, and North Africa, Morocco and, and all that, like, um, you know, I had the, the opportunity to chat with you on the phone uh, in the past about that. But, man, you had such a richly cultural experience once you got to Morocco. And I think... You know, being a surfer of your quality, like it, it can open doors um, into, you know, it, just into experiences that I guess a lot of people aren't going to get to have in the world. But can you share some of those experiences in Morocco? I understand like, um, you know, just crazy, like the living in the caves there and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, on a, you know, like on a trip like that, when you, you are spending so much quality time uh, outside and in a new place and meeting new people and stuff, you're really exposed to, yeah, new friendships and, and, 
you know, you're vulnerable too in, in certain ways where you learn, you know, something about yourself or a certain area or uh, it, it kind of, I mean, it does, it, it, it grows you as, as a person, but it also gives you a, a much deeper understanding of the world around us and, and the people that you, um, you know, there's so much like, uh, you can't talk about the fear in the world, but you, you go into a place and you have no idea where you're going to be, who you're going to meet and what you're going to see and what's going to happen. And then when you have these really positive, nothing but positive experiences and a place that someone might be too scared to go to, it, you kind of, you know, it trips you out, mm. that, you know, that you could judge before you experience. You totally. Know? I mean, Morocco, an Islamic nation, has a history of, you know, some heavy acts of terrorism have been committed there. I remember not long after I was there, there was a gnarly bomb blast in Marrakesh targeting tourists. Like, it does happen there. Um, mm. But, you know, that's... It's, and there's some heavy localism there too. Uh, fuck, man, you can get caught up mm. in some uh, gnarly just, incidents. But Yeah, there's just so many political complexities and and there's yeah i mean you just uh, i don't even know yeah you just sort of have to the, the, put what, yourself in that situation and and experience that and have your own experience if you tread carefully and you're polite you, you you're not going to have any problems almost anywhere in the world uh that you go and and the problems that you're going to have are with just a local nutter, you know, like just that that dude exists in, in most communities, fuck, he exists in, in, in Lennox and Byron. Um, you know, some guy's just waiting to tee off on a, a tourist for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you said, you you go to these places and whatever you thought you knew about the joint is, is blown out within seconds of stepping off the plane or bus, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of it, um, I mean, travelling is, travelling the way we've, we've been travelling, it's certainly makes you exposed to it but it's also you're quite insulated especially if you're traveling with a mate if you're mm. by yourself it's a whole nother world it opens so many you know other other doors and opportunities and puts you in a, a total different frame frame mind but yeah a lot of the traveling i have done you know it, all the films have been with ishka and stuff and now traveling living on a boat with ayana um you know yeah you 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 are you you, you just open to such a a you know, such a rich experience, um, and it, yeah, it just puts you in such a, a really different state of mind that you can't, you know, you can't really put yourself in it in it any other way. And and it kind of it, it isn't doesn't necessarily happen when you're on the trip. It can be months after you get back, or even right now. Like I've come home for a week to see my family, and I go back to the boat and just stepping away from it because I've been on the boat for four or five months now and, and I loved it, love, I'm loving it and nowhere else I want to be but just coming back now has really changed like it's it's a feeling that's hard to describe but it, it again it's really shaped the way that now I'm going to go back to the boat and what's next and, and how I feel about you know being there and um, yeah it's funny like you know and that's what I feel like traveling and that's why I love traveling um, and meeting new people is because that's it inspires me and it, and it makes me feel alive and, and you know, yeah, it's this is amazing meeting new people and going to these new places and, and yeah, it's, it's it's something you can't really put words into. Yeah. Um, back to back to Morocco, like, you know, fuck, man, you scored crazy waves there and that was like some really unique lines and unique surfing, just, you know, even your stance on, on those boards and the way you're able to position in the pit and stuff like that. 
um, you know, talk us through that session, man. You fucking scored so hard. That must have been wild. And after so much hardship. That was, um, yeah, well, that <laughs> that was funny. That was uh, between Christmas and New Year's. Wow. So we'd, um, we'd made the leap to get, we were in Scotland when we made the call to Boogie South. And then had a, we kind of, we really thought, so to jump ahead, we thought we were going to come back after Morocco because we had to get the car back to the UK or, you know, for insurance and registration and stuff. Mm-hmm. We couldn't ditch it. Yeah. Um, and we thought we were going to come back and we were like, all right, let's just get south and then slowly work our way back sort of thing. Um, and then, and then obviously COVID happened and we had to leave the van in Morocco and stuff. So that got missed. So we didn't actually get to spend any time through France and, and Portugal and Spain and stuff, even though once we kind of got wind of that swell that was coming, it was, we kind of had tunnel vision. We couldn't stop thinking about Morocco and I'd been yeah. hankering to get there for yonks, you know? Um, so we kind of, yeah, we put in the hard yards and drove across a few countries and got to the ferry. And so, and in between that, what was the story? You, you end up, you stayed at uh, Kepechero's place for a bit yep. to, to yeah, fine-tune the, Basque, the car. In the Basque country, yeah. we need to car needed service. We need new tyres. We need a- Yeah, which is interesting because Kepe is like, it's, you know, one of the only other guys, you know, kind of operating in this realm of being a really high-end surfer. But fuck, man, that guy toughs it out on his trips and he's, he's very discreet and he, he really like... He really, uh, you know, does that kind of underground surf culture justice. Like, how did you, how did that relationship develop? He's a he's a huge inspiration for me. He's a really nice guy as well. Um, and we, we, he, when we started the trip, he connected with me just through social media and just said, "Hey, if you're ever passing through the Basque, um, I'd, and I hear you heading down to West Africa, I'd love to share some of my experiences. I think they'll be helpful for you." Right. Um, and it wasn't necessarily waves and stuff it was you know like his experience through Mauritania and you know the political the unrest yeah, he, there and he things that he was caught like caught up in some shit down there didn't he I, I kind of remember that even uh there was a story where did he get told to, to to not surf somewhere or Taylor Steele got turned away or there was some gnarly story I remember yeah there's a couple of waves in the western Sahara um that are pretty heavily guarded. Wow. Um, that's crazy because it's a f- the most fucking obscure joint on earth. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's its own story. There's, yeah, there's some heavy stuff going on down there. Yeah, because it, 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 it's also that, that, that part of the world is like, you know, Morocco owns it in theory, but there's a, a constant kind of battle for independence and, and stuff like that, right? They're yeah. Trying to release the Western Sahara from... Yeah, the pretty Morocco m- kingdom or some shit. Pretty much, yeah, mm. yeah. But we, um, you know, we kind of he he reached out and said, you know, we can uh, let's catch up, stay in the Basque. And we got down there, and he said, oh, actually, uh, meet my friend John, um, who we we ended up staying with his wife and Maria and, and daughter Berra. Really lovely people, and they opened their doors for us. And we've been driving for days, and took us to his local mechanic, and you know, we replaced the tires and had a few, you know, warm showers and and few feeds with them and um yeah with Kepa too and, and kind of picked his brains and we all got around looking at the forecast and he's just like go go like, <laughs> and we're like all right like and then we just you know beelined it from there to the Gibraltar Strait to get that um to get that ferry and they cancelled and we'd finally got to I think it was maybe five or six days between when we left Scotland to when we got to the point um got to Safi and 
Morocco. Mm. Um, that ferry being cancelled meant we needed to take a different route. And it added, yeah, you had to go like way up the med. Like you had to head, I don't know what direction that is, what fucking uh, east into the Mediterranean to where it gets a bit. Yeah, less. it was like a five hour drive. And then instead of a three hour ferry, it ended up being like an eight or nine hour ferry. Yeah. And then being a four hour drive, it ended up being a 15 hour drive. And <laughs> like this, a, you're looking at the, the swell chart the whole time, like fucking doing the math. And we, we pull up like. No idea where the wave is or anything. We just have a pin drop of the town. And yeah. We pull up to the town and we just park the van under some street lights. And uh, I think it was like a, a weekend or something. And the people were uh, the techno, like the techno music and the <laughs> raves. And everyone had their boots open. And we were just laying there. It's like, <laughs> and we're just like, what? Just so scorched from the week, you know? And, Fuck. And like, we're in a new. We've been in a new country for less than a day, and like, is it sweet? You know, everyone's been robbed in Morocco and get yeah. and everyone's got a story, and we're there for the first time, and just like, sort of sleeping with one eye open, you know, like. <laughs> um, and then we wake up, and it's like tides a bit high, but you can sort of see swells starting. And then all of a sudden, with the flip of a switch, it's like, oh my god! Like, wow! Like one way, I think it was just one way that came through, and it was just like broke for close to a kilometre, six foot, and just like, you just panic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was like four or five days of it through Christmas and New Year's, so there was no travelling, like, professional surfers or anything. Right. There was, you know, everyone was at home with their families. Of course. Like, there were mornings, like, I was out there by myself, you no. know? And then the most, you know, maybe sharing it with half a dozen people. Like, Wow. Yeah. That's crazy, man. And it was... Yeah, I mean, you're just like, wow, is this Morocco? <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if we'll name the wave or not. It's, it's fairly well known. I mean, it's super well known. It's but not a secret at yeah, all. Yeah, not, not at all. But, you know, Safi's like, it's a joint that it, it requires a huge amount of swell to work, right? And, yeah. uh, and it's sand dependent. It's sand dependent. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, I didn't. I'd never seen I'd, I'd never seen footage of the wave or a, or a photo of it. I didn't know, but I just heard that's the the jewel, you know, mm. like you can't go past that wave. So I really didn't know what to expect, which I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad. I mean, it was a good thing because we didn't get skunked and I didn't have expectations. But like, man, it was like the best waves I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's Hands good down. to hear you say because. That's one of the craziest sequences of surfing and in the film, it's incredible with the music. Uh, don't know what track that was, but it's like it's such a fucking banger and just the, the foreground, like everything about that section of surfing just nailed the Moroccan surf experience. But that said, you know, fuck, most people don't score waves like that when they go there. So yeah. what a fucking peak moment. <laughs> it was a peak. It was a full life peak. <laughs> fuck. And um, I remember you telling me like a bit about just living in the caves there for a bit or even just getting to see that culture. Like what's the story there? Yeah, so we um, – that was – so that was so funny. So Omar, uh, our friend that is in the cave section, the bodyboarder, scruffy, big beard, such a legend, such a legend. So he – I met him at Desert Point. Wow. Yeah, which – and then again, so I met him at Desert Point. Um, we, sh- we shared a few waves down off the end. And, and he, uh, when I got to 
Safi on those first couple of days, he was there. He was one of the only couple of people there. And we were kind of looking at each other, like, and we made sense of it. And then he, um, we, like, obviously we had that experience at Safi, which was like, you know, like insane. Yeah. And then Ishka and I really tried to find that cave wave. Um, yeah. I know didn't know where it was yeah. or how to get there. And we were scouring and then all of a sudden, like, found it on a, a bit of a windy afternoon and wasn't quite doing it. And then surfed the next day, and I came in, and Omar was in the cave on the cliff. Like, so he lives in the cliff overlooking. His that cousin stuff. lives in there, and he's a fisherman. <laughs> That's and amazing. Omar, Omar's like, I don't know enough about his life story, and he's just like such a drifter, you know, Full slab hermit. That's yeah, so but sick. like, no idea how he gets the funds to travel, or um, like, he's just always there in the spot but he's like oh I don't yeah he's you know he's he's just there with his bodyboard and he's torn up wetty and like sand and dust in his hair <laughs> and just like you know but always got something some almond butter to share with you or yeah. you know like a bit of bread <laughs> or something and he's just like hey and he's like Omar like where did you just come from fuck that's amazing and I get it yeah that's you know they're the guys you're talking about those guys who really inspire you to to, to keep following this path and uh, I mean documenting it I guess it's so sick there's so many characters like that in Surfing's Underground who you'll never hear the name of or, or see their face but they're, they're abundant and they're fucking they're pure as anything absolutely yeah yeah that's that's they're keeping the dream alive that's where it's at that's cool and, and so describe what it looks like in these caves so they have doors right and yep. they kind of they etch them out with chisels yeah it's sandstone um, they're etched out with ch- chisels. It's like a platform. There's maybe half a dozen of them. Um, it's all carved out of the, the walls. And in there, there's little couches. They've got a little, uh, like a, a gas bottle, little single burner, um, paintings on the wall. Uh, there, there were buoys and fishing fishing line. And uh, like, I mean, it's as simple as it gets, but it's cozy. Like you... You're in there and you're comfortable, you know, like nice Moroccan rug in there and you, you're looking out of the sandstone frame and there's just this perfect right-hand slab. Wow. And the colours are bouncing off each other and, yeah, we cooked some some squid tagines and we actually shared New Year's there. Wow. Uh, we, had New, right. we had New Year's Eve there. Wow. And we just had like this um, – I met another guy um, – Matt, his name is, he's from West Oz. Aussie guy, yeah, yeah. Goofy Foot, a really good surfer. He was on a solo trip doing the same thing. We were at Safi for that swell. Just ran, he was, there were five of us in the water and he was one of them. True. Um, so he's a good example of those people out there just doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we, you know, we kind of bumped into each other there and, and just sort of had that, you know, a week or so just surfing there every day and, yeah, eating tagines and catching fish and just sort of laughing and pinching ourselves again. Man, and like to see people live in this, what I call that lifestyle second world, or actually it'd be second world if you were doing it in Australia because you've got you know still free healthcare and all the kind of social welfare benefits, I guess. Uh, but just to see people living like that, it, it, man, they could have been uh, living 10,000 years ago. You know, living in a cave uh, with such basic amenities, it really kind of... 
burst the bubble of this suburban kind of capitalist matrix that we're taught to believe uh, we should want and desire you know the big suburban house with the fucking all the mod cons and uh the, the fresh car and the millions of dollars of debt like uh you know i guess that's one of the big lessons you get from traveling the way you do is just that there's different ways to live that are you know really heartwarming and and, and you've got everything you need and i guess living in a cave it's the rocky pinnacle uh, that realm. but yeah i mean yeah, yeah. Fucking peachy. Man, mm-hmm. um, ah, I, that, that, that's all I got. I guess uh, thanks so much for fucking giving us your time. And like no I said, it's, uh, it's mental. It's mental yeah. to, to see what you're doing. And uh, yeah, can't believe it. You're flying back into the maelstrom, into Indo. Heading, so yeah, like... What's the plan now? Um, so I, Ayana kind of told me to go because she needed, know, knows that I need to come home and, and be with some family. And Yeah, how's your nan? She's all right. Yeah, she had a bit of a scare a month ago and um, and she's, you know, her and I are really close. So mm. uh, just I really, you know, I have, hadn't been home for ages and, and I, you know, am her kind of carer in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and um, we have a really tight relationship. So I, you know, it was time for me to come home. I need to be there and, mm. and spend some time with her. Um, which, which is, yeah, I've just sort of been staying with her the last week. And, um, and now, yeah, I'm going back to the boat on Monday. Um, she's been in the, she's in the tellers there and wow, yep. been on the boat for taking me yeah, a few days travel either side and been here for a week or so. It's been 10, 12 days that she's been on the boat and we've, we're actually, uh, getting this, um, get these weather systems. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but they happen every four or five years and they're really predominantly nor-nor-west systems and there's been almost these little uh, heavy low-pressure systems sitting off the coast um, and creating these these freaking like heavy furious weather like storms every day every second day 40 50 knot squalls just wow yeah she's actually been getting been getting blasted so (laughs) so ayana's moored up somewhere no she's just on anchor yeah, in a in a little bay in the mangroves. Wow, um, super remote. The, the signal comes and goes with the wind. No and, way. Um, and just the poor thing. Uh, oh, I, I owe one. She's, I mean, she's I th- she's been having a great time. It's been amazing for her, and I think yeah. she's loving it. But you know, all through the nights, so we've just been getting blasted, and the anchor's been dragging around, and it's scary. You know, you, you're out there by yourself, um, and yeah. Man, she's such a legend. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. massive shout out to you, to f- your fiance, um, and Ayana, and like, just I mean, to have the the courage and the strength to do what she's doing. I mean, fuck, that's wild, man. Like, uh, ha- ha- what's uh, I mean, how has she managed to to be so self sufficient uh, on a boat? I guess, and, and have like, you know, what's a bit a bit about Ayana? Well, she. So, yeah, we met maybe four or five years ago now um, in Byron. She was on a little solo trip of her own. She had a Ford Falcon wagon and was just sort of tripping around the, the countryside. And um, then we got hanging out and um, she's from California. So we'd, we'd spend a bit of time over there and, you know, Mexico and stuff together. And we both kind of got the travel travel bug. Um, but, yeah, Ayana, she grew up in, in Santa Barbara in California and... Um, 
she actually, well, she spent the first sort of 10 years on a boat with her mum and dad and, and little brother. Wow. Sailing. Off the tr- coast like of Santa Barbara? Um, Harold, her dad, bought the boat in uh, up in Canada. Yeah. Sailed it down and the huh. family got on the boat in Santa Barbara and sailed down to Panama. Wow. Um, and they, yeah, over, over sort of 10 years sort of came and went from the boat and they've still got the boat um, down in Guatemala. True. Um, and yeah, they, yeah, so she kind of, that was her early years from about two to 12, two to 10 sort of thing. Um, we, you know, she, before we met, she wanted to buy a boat for herself and, and do the solo sailing thing. Um, and so we both kind of shared this, uh, sort of idea of getting a boat and, and then, yeah, this has kind of been an extension of that and, um, yeah, just sort of been, yeah, one thing kind of led to another to end up where we are right now, for sure. Wow, man. Fuck. She's got mad ocean skills. That's insane. That's so wild. Yeah, she's got a, she's, she's incredibly adventurous and, um, yeah, brave. And, and fucking and, rips, man. Surf's really good. Yeah, yeah. She's super fun to surf with and, yeah, high energy and amazing. Sick, man. <laughs> That's why I love her. Fuck yeah. All right. Thank you so much, dude. Really uh, appreciate you giving Pleasure. us your time. Let I might in. see you, uh, I don't know, when I'll see you. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, fuck, I'll be up there in the archipelago in August. But, um, Who are you? Yeah. Whereabouts? Um, landing in Bali and then I've got a couple of weeks to spend somewhere, so I'll go somewhere. Oh, if you end up in, in cahoots, come jump on the boat. Yeah, man. Yeah. Fucking earth. That'll be mental. Oh, yeah. I, I think I'll sort of hang on the boat for the rest of the year. And yeah, sick. Yeah, start sort of cruising south. Okay, so you're going to work your way down uh, the archipelago, I imagine, just keep heading east and then eventually to Oz, down the east coast? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, play yeah. it by ear, kind of maybe leave the boat in Lombok at the end of the year. And okay. Yeah, see if we're still afloat. And I guess the confidence is building, isn't it? Like you, you would, with each day and each storm that you make it through, you, you must feel a bit more competent and, and, and less fearful of, of, you know, fucking kind of do it indefinitely if you're good enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's always throwing curveballs at you. And just when you think you you know what you're doing, you just get very humbled. So it's, uh, yeah, it's heaven and hell. <laughs> <laughs> like all things, blessing and a curse. Yeah. Classic. Sick, man. Thank you. Trey.